Mark your calendars! The ADCES 24 Annual Conference parades into New Orleans August 9-12, through 12, 2024. Registration opens March 26, but you can start planning your trip now. Get ready to seize opportunities to connect, learn, and optimize your diabetes care and education practice. Stay tuned for updates at adces24.org. Hello, and welcome to AADE's podcast, The Huddle, Conversations with the Diabetes Care Team. In each episode, we speak with guests from across the diabetes care space to bring you perspectives, issues, and updates that elevate your role, inform your practice, and ignite your passion. I'm Kirsten Yale, Research Manager, and we've got a great show for you today. I have the pleasure of talking with Tricia Davidson, Associate Professor in the Department of Nutrition, College of Health Sciences at Westchester University in Pennsylvania, about cultural competency in healthcare. Without further ado, here's Tricia. Tricia, welcome to the huddle. Well, thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. We're really excited to have you, especially since we're top, talking about the topic of cultural competency today. And, you know, you and I have had the opportunity to chat a little bit about this in the past. And every time we talk, it's, you know, it's really your passion that comes through on this subject. So um, I'm hoping that, like, we can talk a little bit about where this passion comes from and what makes you so passionate on this topic? Well, I think a lot of it has to do with the experiences that I've had with um, various patients and things that I've learned over the, my clinical years is that you know, I thought I really was a person who was very culturally uh, competent and I really understood the people that I was working with. And then I realized how I really uh, didn't grasp that and how I was missing some key nuances that really could have uh, helped with my care. And one example that comes to mind is I had a woman that just wasn't doing anything that we were asking. She wasn't taking her medicines or, and I finally realized that no one had really asked what was the reason behind it. You know, we never want to ask why. You just want to kind of understand what the reason is behind it. And what it really boiled down to is that she thought that the reason she had diabetes was because she was being punished by, by an, a higher being and that until she figured out what she was being punished for, the diabetes wasn't going to go away and that it would go away once she figured it out. And I worked very closely with her and her son and her family to gain trust and they finally were able to get her to understand that diabetes was not a punishment. But without really asking that one question or understanding that that was part of her culture, that that's how disease occurs or conditions occur, I would not have ever figured it out and we would have just classified her as non-compliant. Got it. So you have to first recognize the situation that she was in and then ask that why question, right? Was there anything in your background that's equipped you to ask those questions? Well, I would say it, it, a lot of it really has come from uh, reading. I do a lot of uh, literature reading and things like that. But the other is I immersed myself in courses and workshops to truly understand what it means to be culturally uh, competent. And the reason this is important is awareness of this cultural sensitivity is just as critical to the care of, of a person as health literacy and numeracy sensitivity. And it's more than just a finite knowledge of a person's cultural values and beliefs and customs and languages. 
through uh, in thoughts and actions, we need to really understand what drives those actions. Um, we also need to gain more relevant insight into uh, the ne- what necessitates the need to develop a certain amount of what we call cultural humility or developing mutual respect uh, with a person. So the you know part of what I did is I saw that th- this was one situation out of many that this has occurred where I thought that I was being very clear in my instructions and that I had connected with the person, but I really hadn't because I never really asked what they really knew about what they had. So listening to you talk reminds me of the paper that you just co-authored and you say you're a reader and you take a lot of courses and I'd actually say that you're a pretty great writer too. So I did get a chance to read the paper and a couple things that stood out to me. We talk about diversity and health literacy and health communication and health care. Those are pretty hot topics these days. And then you talk about what we're talking about today, about cultural competencies. And what I get from your reading and maybe what the path I'm going down, maybe it's the wrong path and you need to bring me back, is that these cultural competencies are these attributes that you talk about could be the foundation to health literacy and health communication. Am I on the right track there? That's, that's, you're absolutely on the correct track on that because that's why we combined these two papers. Originally, uh, AAD had two separate papers, one that was on health literacy and numeracy, and the other was on cultural competency. But they really do intertwine with each other because they, numeracy, health literacy and numeracy um, is hard to separate that away from what the person's um, language skills are. And numeracy, um, numbers is one of the hardest things for people to translate. And so understand the culture of how they um, utilize numbers or utilize that in their care is important, as well as their overall cultural beliefs that lead into their health literacy. So you've talked about cultural sensitivity and cultural competence, cultural humility. Can you give some examples of those, like for somebody out there who doesn't have Mm -hmm. that direct clinical patient experience that you have, like, can you give some examples of what that might look like? Well, the first thing is to keep in mind is a lot of people think that that cultural competency is the term that we should be using, and they often use these those three terms that you just mentioned interchangeably, that, that it means the same thing. So there's cultural competency, cultural sensitivity, and then there's cultural humility. So first, let me explain what cultural uh, sim- sensitivity is. It's really the, the way you deliver health information based on the person's cultural norms or values, their social beliefs, their historical or environmental factors or unique things that are specific to a population. And that means that you're recognizing there's certain foods or certain, um, for example, in some Hispanic populations, you know, aloe is a very important uh, food that they incorporate in their uh, diet, thinking that that's going to control their blood sugar. But then they combine it with very sugary beverage And so that really isn't doing what we need it to do. But they're not going to stop using aloe because it has um, some a cultural or a value or a belief structure to it that that is medicinal for them. So being culturally sensitive means you understand their environmental factors, their the way they live, um, and their social 
cultural competence, on the other hand, is your ability to be able or the knowledge to work with diverse populations. And it's irrespective of language, customs, beliefs, communications. So you're having more of that you're um, able to recognize there's cultural influences and you have that knowledge and you're able to work with them. And whereas cultural humility is the ability to maintain an interpersonal stance, that is that you see the person from their side or you actually get on the other side of the mirror, you're looking from their point of view. And it's important to really keep that idea that about cultural humility because it emphasizes the importance of that you have to self-question, you're culturally immersed, you're actively listening, and you have negotiating skills with that particular culture. Yeah, so it's complex. It's Yeah. It's very, it's very complex, but unfortunately, uh, often people um, stop at the cultural competency level that they have a knowledge and the ability to work with cultures. But the problem is, is if you stop there, you're not really seeing the person from their point of view, and that can affect behavior change. It just reminds me of how we all make decisions, or maybe sometimes we stereotype from past experiences. So we have sort of like a database of experiences we've had, and then we sometimes put them on somebody else, but that maybe if we go through this process of cultural competency, then moving into sensitivity, and then the humility, which is putting ourselves in the other person's shoes, then maybe we have an understanding of somebody as a unique person. And that's kind of what the diabetes care and education specialist does, which is put the person in the center and individualize the care. Am I on the right track here? Yeah, absolutely. And that's, I think that we talk about person-centered care, but if we leave out any one of those three um, areas of cultural competency, sensitivity, and humility, you need to utilize all three for it to be really person-centered. Right. Sometimes I think even just to get to that empathy place, you have to have the sensitivity or the recognition, and then the sensitivity. Mm -hmm. But I want to bring us back to the paper where you talk about the five cultural attributes. And I wanted to talk about how those attributes sort of intertwine or overlap with these, with the sensitivity and competency and humility we just talked about. Well, are you talking about um, the ability to communicate? Exactly. Yeah. Those five attributes that influence communication. It's the next level. So if once you reach that culture, humility and that the competency and so forth, then the next thing you need to think about is how are you um, communicating with someone? And that's language, cultural norms and values, stereotypes or those unconscious biases that we might have, cultural beliefs, um, cultural body language, eye contact and gestures, which kind of go together. But these are all ways that every culture uh, communicates. And so we often think if we have an interpreter or we even if we know the language, that that's enough. And what's important is the, the this we may have a language, but we don't necessarily know the gestures that a person is using or the context of the words. So we need to learn more about the culture and their norms and ask questions such as, what do you know about your condition? Like the woman that I mentioned at the very beginning, how do you feel about 
the, the condition that we're talking about? And what do you call the problem? That is one of the most important questions to ask because sometimes we, what we're calling diabetes may not be necessarily what they even understand. They also oftentimes don't understand goal setting or some of the terminologies that we set. Um, one of the experiences I had is I was using the term medicine. How are you taking your medicine? And in some cultures, the word medicine just means the medical care. It doesn't mean the pills. So sometimes you need to realize that the um, beliefs, the culture, and their gestures, how they're looking at you and how they view the problem is just as important as understanding, um, having a knowledge about the culture itself. You know, it's so much to take in when I'm sitting here listening. I, I think we've heard about communication. We know, okay, communication, there's language, and then there's body language. And we know that body language is 90%, 96% of communication. I think that's where the numbers are now. What you're mm -hmm. talking about is context, right? And so amidst all of these ways we communicate, there's context, and then there's, and then there's culture. So what would be your best tip? I know listening and putting yourself in the shoes of the person with diabetes. So having that empathy, what other tips could you give to diabetes care and education specialists? Well, I think oftentimes people do do this, but we often get into, as you said, we see a lot of people in one day, um, is recognizing first that um, the cultural variances of the language, gestures, or body language uh, if you are immersed in a, a cultural a culture or group that you're going to be working with on a regular basis, or you should really um, educate yourself on um, some of the norms, some of the cultural norms, some of the body, especially body language and eye contact and gestures. The reason is, is we often think that we're being very empathetic if we reach out and touch someone and say it's all going to be okay. But in some cultures, you really need to ask permission for that, and that is um, not acceptable. Um, in, other, in some cultures, eye contact is a, a form of respect. Um, so they, they, if they're not looking at you, that's being respectful, and it's not being disrespectful like we often see here in the United States, if someone's not looking as we think they're hiding something. So I think that my advice would be is understanding that um, how different cultures communicate goes beyond speaking the language and knowing that the meaning of the words and, and knowing the meaning of the words is, is not as, as it's not the same as it needs to be expanded to the situation. So you may develop, um, jotting down some things. This is what I did in my early years is I would jot down some things that I would learn and really try to understand what it meant. Um, so that would be my advice. I wonder if there would be a place, say, in health systems. I mean, we, we know health systems have interpreters. I wonder if there's a place for this. Now, this might mm -hmm. be going too far. Sometimes I go off on tangents, but cultural interpreters, you know, somebody you could call on if you say, okay, I'm having, I know I'm going to be seeing a patient right now and it's three o'clock today from this, um, from this culture that I'm, I'm, maybe I'm not quite familiar with. I mean, is there somebody you could talk to or know at least, or know at least a list of experts that you could reach out to? Oh, absolutely. And I, in the clinic that I work in, we have uh, specifically trained 
interpreters and part of their training is that is um, being able to um, not just interpret but to also make sure that uh, the clinician is understanding um, and part of interpret interpreting is I don't know if, if people realize this but the interpreter is not the person that the patient will be speaking to so making sure that you have trained interpreters is extremely important because when you sit in a, in a situation when I have an interpreter I'm t- talking directly to the patient and they're, t- they're talking directly to me, but the interpreter mm-hmm. is not looking at either one of us because we are the ones that need to make the connection. And that's how you learn um, part of the culture. Does that make sense? It does. You're just giving me a lot to think about. I mean, I'm someone who loves to do puzzles and I'm just thinking about this. And it's almost like a puzzle in action when you're talking to somebody. And I think it's going to be super helpful for people to hear. We're going to be wrapping up in a few minutes. Do you have any last stories that you can share with us about the diabetes education specialist in the community? Um, I would say that in general, um, I, over the years, what I've learned is that I need to uh, not have an agenda when I walk into uh, or a patient walks into the room. I need to really get to know them um, first and especially when it comes to different cultures. So I will often ask those three questions that I uh, mentioned earlier, is what do you know, how do you feel about it, and what do you call the problem that we're going to be working with today? Because if I know those three questions, it tells me a lot about their understanding. Um, and that also try to also gets to the health literacy a little bit as well. Um, the other thing that I would say is, just keeping in mind that you know we define person-centered care to include care that is respectful in response to individual preferences, needs, and values, and emphasizes the clinical decisions by driv- that are driven by the person's values. And so that's why it's so essential that we really are more cultural, um, have cultural humility, competency, and sensitivity, because then we can. Um, provide person-centered care. This has reminded me of a stat I read, I think, about 20 years ago. And I don't know if it's still valid, but it was that 99% of people, by the time they were 18, were not comfortable asking questions anymore. And if you're not comfortable asking questions, that means you're going into any interaction with judgments in mind, mm-hmm. right? Because you're not open to being curious or ask questions. And it seems like this is the world we're moving into in order to be problem solvers and finding the solution that we need. So you kind of have to be open to asking questions and be open to the unknown and be open to not knowing everything. It's a lot to think about all these layers we're talking about, but it's pretty fascinating. Well, the the thing that I would leave people with is that you bring up a very good point about not People are trained not to ask questions, but specifically in some cultures, um, and you know, when you think about cultures, it's not always have to be ethnic groups. It could also be age, you know, um, the older adult. They're tr- we're trained that the medical person is supposed to tell us what to do. So we need to be able to figure out a way. One of the things I do is encourage at the beginning of any consultation is to ask if they have any questions or what is it they're primarily 
want to learn today or what is their primary concern. So that's why if you ask how you feel about or how are you feeling today, just opening it up to allow them to be able to start the conversation without you just doing the clinical, how's your blood sugars and things like that. And that partnership is going to get the best health outcomes, right? Yes. That's the whole idea. So it's definitely a bridge we have to cross. Trisha, this has been absolutely wonderful. I can't thank you enough for doing this. You're always so fascinating to talk to. And I just want to make sure everybody knows that we have a new paper that you co-authored and it's going to be coming out. It's the new practice paper on cultural competency. And you can find it at diabeteseducator.org forward slash cultural competency. Well, it's, it's cultural competency and health literacy. It's a combined paper. So it's important that they know that they're going to be getting both. And that is perfect because our next podcast is going to be covering the health literacy side of this. I appreciate you giving us that introduction and thank you so much, Tricia. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of The Huddle, Conversations with the Diabetes Care Team. Today we learned a person's culture is interconnected with how they communicate and interpret health information. Cultural competency helps us understand how critical it is that we go beyond just knowing about a culture, that we ask questions and listen to the person to better understand where they come from. We must put ourselves in their shoes to understand their environment. The idea of cultural competency is the foundation for health literacy and communication. The new Cultural Competency and Health Literacy Practice Paper from AADE is a key resource to help you better understand the ideas we talked about today. To dive into this paper and other AADE resources, visit diabeteseducator.org forward slash cultural competency. The information in this podcast is for informational purposes only and may not be appropriate or applicable for your individual circumstances. This podcast does not provide medical or professional advice and is not a substitute for consultation with a healthcare professional. Please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions.